Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me Jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. Today, our guest is Pip. She's one of the most recognized HR leaders in Asia. She has more than 20 years of experience in people and digital space. She has worked stints on great companies like Group N, Mercer, RBS, Friendster. In her spare time, she loves to do caregiving, learn, help, and connect with people. She also did an executive MBA with Kellogg's and Hong Kong UST. So let me ask you the first interesting question that I always want to ask is, what happened in your career that lead you to your startup People Collider? Great question, Andrew. It was a series of accidents. So I fell into HR purely by accident. I didn't even know what HR stood for when I made my first office job. I was recruiting people to go to interview processes with people and conducting induction and training. In fact, I even hired Santa Claus and ran Santa School. And I remember telling a friend, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing at work. And I explained to my students, she goes, oh, you like HR? I'm like, HR? <laughs> I didn't know what it was. But that was starting in human resources. And yeah, I discovered the, I said, study on top of full-time work. And the, they say the rest is history. But it was, it was an interesting journey. I was very lucky. I spent most of it in Sydney, or the first decade in Sydney. And that was a good grounding with a lot of the uh, multinational Number of contract by choice because you get the more interesting jobs, the contract jobs in Australia. And contracting is very common, yeah. And I know it's so amazing in Australia. And through one of those contracts, I was working on the PeopleSoft implementation at AB and AMRO. And when Raw Baker Scotland took over AB and they decided to start up the PeopleSoft project again. And so I had my first opportunity to move to Asia, which I had always wanted to do. And that was the trip to Taipei. I loved it. I'd move back in a heartbeat if there was a job there for me. It was a wonderful place to live. And so, so continued my career in HR and technology or HR tech. So life was great and I moved around, traveled a lot until about 2013 when I found myself in Singapore working for RBS. And I've lost my mojo. I still loved HR, but it wasn't enough. I was looking around for something else. That to pique my curiosity. And I discovered technology. I always loved the geeky stuff, Star Wars and Star Trek, that it was a comfortable fit. And I remember thinking that I needed to learn about robots, as I thought of them back there. People, yes, an HR professional, and spend your life trying to work out how to get people to work with people. And 
I thought I'm going to have to figure out how to get people to work this robot now. And I remember trying to Google psychology for robots. Of course, there's nothing in 2013. Google only works if you know what you're looking for. I didn't know what you were looking for back then. But it was the start of of my learning journey into technology and subsequent reality, which, as we both know, are interdependent and invisible. It was wonderful. I made full use of many of the facilities available in Singapore, particularly ST Innovate, where we met. I'm sure you remember. So in the early days, I told you there's a day, I'm sure I was the only unchub person in the room. But honestly, I only understood the introductions of some of those. I just, because it, it was very deep technique and I didn't understand it. But I kept going. I kept, the more I learned, the more I learned what to learn. I learned, I could learn what to Google. I knew then what I was looking for. And I know my learning was not about HR tech per se, but it was about technology as a separate team. So also adding another string to my bow. And that's where it sort of, I guess, flowed into my HR work. Because my interest is in where technology and people come together, where they overlap, particularly in the workplace, which is way beyond HR technology. And that led out of corporate, finished my MBA, into a startup, and then I conducted a study in the state of HR and tech in APAC. Because I wanted to know about our relationship with technology as HR professionals more broadly. And long story short, that's why we started People for Lino, because I've discovered that the knowledge of the average HR person in APAC around technology is not where it needs to be able to blend technology and people effectively in the workplace, both within the HR function and beyond the HR function. And that's where people, why and how people collide to change now, I think. A lot of the journey there. It's definitely not a straight path. <laughs> yes, it's a very unique, interesting story. I mean, I, I learned a lot more about you, like your story. I know that you started People Colliding around like 2018, 2019. And how has the journey been so far? And what have you learned throughout this journey? Yeah, I think I've learned a couple of things. The most important for me is I love learning and sharing learning, which is not the safest matter to business. As I'm sure many founders have discovered they love what they do more than they're running a business. Not that I dislike it, but my passion for learning. So I've picked up a lot more lecturing. I lecture in Australia in business analytics and I lecture in Singapore in technology and human capital and innovation part. So I guess I love collecting and learning things myself and sharing that knowledge with other people and together building that. Knowledge is one of those fabulous things that when it is shared, it grows. It only shares in many ways if it grows. So, yeah, that's been a, a really important part of my journey. And what is central to my work, either with people collider or anywhere else that I'm working with, it is the learning journey for the people involved who are sharing it with me, either as a fellow trainer or a student, be they a university student or corporate corporate HR professional. For me, that the learning journey is central and keep me. Wow. So coming back, how has COVID-19 really changed digital transformation or changed the way we do things? Yeah, good question. I know a lot of people listening will agree that things were already on track for change and they've just been accelerated with COVID. So I don't want to go into the acceleration. We're all familiar with that. What I am seeing, though, is a couple of changes. When we moved online, we'd start using new tools. Like you you and I, Google Meet, Zoom, WebEx, whatever it is. 
but we just didn't use them the same. So we had many of the same tool and we just used them either more heavily or slightly differently. But it didn't necessarily change the nature of what we did. In fact, the online learning was people clone. I wanted to stop and really think about this because I didn't just want to do classes over Zoom and university as well. It's not the same as a sustained digital transformation. We had everything online with the tools that we had, but I don't believe that we really navigated the hybrid workplace of the future and what the technological options may be that are associated with that. I think once we stop and think and reflect on what we have, how effective it is and where we want to go in the future, that most companies will actually be using a different type of technology. Things that support collaboration and communications far more effectively than good old Zoom. Not old Zoom, but not the future the same way. I think tools like virtual reality and extended reality are far more likely to be the tools that settle into us over time in these workplaces. The other thing that I think has changed is it accelerated the debate about the ethics of many of these technologies, particularly AI. It wasn't really on the agenda for many people at the beginning. Of, and I think it would have raised, its profile raised over time, irrespective of COVID. But COVID, I think, also accelerated the discussion about bias, discrimination, data privacy, and so forth with artificial intelligence during COVID time. So I think as we've adopted tools that have been adopted, built and selected in an unregulated environment, I think that as we move forward with the tools that we have and the tools that we'll choose, the different types of tools, we will have to start thinking about the additional levels of governance, either those that we apply internally or those that are imposed upon us by those statutory bodies in multiple jurisdictions. GDPR is just the start, just one related legislation. So I think that yeah, acceleration, but it is also going to change tax for us. If we haven't done that silly yet, I don't think many people have actually thought deeply about those, the technologies. They go, VR is fantastic. 5G is rolled out. The hardware costs are coming down significantly. I really think that VR and extended reality, we're going to see a lot more of those in the workplace. Certain years to come. Ever since COVID-19, everybody is compelled to use technology more often. Five, ten years ago, we are using WebEx. Everybody probably heard of it. Now it's it. Zoom. It's just a different name because the technology is maybe higher latency, higher frequency to allow a better resolution of voice or a more resolution of face. But it still haven't changed that interpersonal connection that cannot be transmitted through the digital realm. What do you think? Yeah, that's a great point. And what I've seen, certainly since 2013, is the more we talk about technology, the more important humans become. This notion of separating the two and understanding what is important for people when we're adopting technology, it's the people aspect that must be front and center. In the old days, it used to be through change management, but it's different. That's evolved significantly as well. So I think that while it will change and it will adapt, it will be pushed, we will be pushed to think more about people and purpose because the people that we're hiring type labor market will force us to do so and rightly so i'm pleased they will because they will shape a lot of what happens thereafter when we don't when they're not compelled to do it via a talent shortage coming back to the second part you mentioned about ethics because of the rise of covid19 everybody is forced to work from home if possible most of the time 
I have also spoken to a lot of other guests and a lot of peers, leaders. Some of the leaders will be saying, I can't see my people now that they are at home. I do not know whenever we do a Teams or a Skype or a Google Hangout, when I'm the one doing the talking, are my juniors taking notes or they are playing some computer games or mobile games on another screen because these days they can buy four or five screens. Another leader will say, okay, that's the reason why we need to track every single data through like whether our Zoom or Skype and work. And that actually created a situation in which that employees or talent, they were like, hey, do I really want to be tracked? I mean, I'm some of the really hardworking and conscientious worker. They say, I really do all my work. I don't really believe that the company should track it. And that means there's a lack of trust. And because of the trust and the high frequency of data capture, that leads to the sudden view of ethics. What is your view on that? Yeah, a couple of perspectives on this. One is the monitoring. I was horrified by the number of companies that automatically responded to work from home with monitoring software. In fact, I had people reaching out to me on LinkedIn to say, what monitoring technology should I be using? And that really worried me, you know, because that suggested underlying issue of trust. I'm ethically or philosophically so not agree with. Monitoring technologies per se, I don't like being tracked. But it comes down to two things. It's really the data that we are collecting and how we're using it. So whether we've got monitoring tools in place or not, most data points are available to companies, whether we're in the office or not. We generate a slightly larger digital footprint at home. Now, if you ask the average HR person, it's generated in the course of work using work tool. Therefore, the company owns the data. So the more data points that we try to gather as companies from our people, from our employees, that is going to be a downward spiral in many ways, but we have to open up conversations with our employees. In fact, I would bet that most companies have not already had the conversation with their employees about the size of their digital footprint and what they're doing with the data. Because most of the data points that we're producing, we produce and absorb. We're not producing intentionally. They just merely exist to the workplace, to the use of tools. So I think what data points we gather in what tool does make a difference. And we are going to have that conversation, whether or not we can legally use it. And we know in most jurisdictions, companies can. But the difference is, people that have put us in it. I like the way that you mentioned about like we need to have or the society leaders needs to have conversation about what what data that they're capturing, what are they doing with the data because it established trust. I mean of course I know that where you mentioned about nobody likes to get their digital footprint monitored. Because at the end of the day it's about trust. If I can get my job done, I submit a PDF and report or whatever code, done. Leaders should be like, okay, I trust this guy and get a job done. I don't need to be like some companies where they put some CCTV to see whether this guy's sleeping or typing. Because it's like, it's the extent of how we use data. Data is a double-edged sword. On one hand, it's supposed to help us excitedly. How can we make this guy know that, oh, maybe he should take leave today. Maybe he should take off his overwork. Instead of the other inverse, ah, this guy's not doing his job. It's quite monitoring him like a cat and dog thing. To me, that's not the collection. That's the use of the data. The why. So, and we need to separate these. Most people will say, I don't want my data collectors privacy. Actually, it's not collection of the data issue. It's the use of it that most people object to. So company A monitors people and see if they're sleeping and dock their pay for the moments that they are asleep. They may not fit them or shift so they may be negatively impacted by that data in some way. Another company 
might use that to develop a better wellbeing program, to give people paid time, to be able to improve the rostering system so that people are not as tired at work, to even question as they're needing to work the other job, two jobs because they're not earning a living wage. Now, if you get security offices in Singapore, many of them slip on the job because they just have to work so hard to get a made against meat. They, they're barely being paid a living wage to live in Singapore. So two companies could be collecting exactly the same data, but using it very differently. And it's the use of that data. Microsoft collects a huge amount of data for their employees. Surveillance, monitoring, tracking, you name it. But it is used for and by the employees to approve their decision and what they choose to do in the workplace. So I think we need the conversation about what is being collected. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode. We have come to the end of part one with Pip. In the next episode, we will continue with Pip on part two, which he shared with us on how the inappropriate use of data can lead to a downhill erosion of people's trust towards the company. She also explained why it is important to think about the purpose of developing an ethics, data and technology charter. Lastly, Pip explained why having an organizational skill inventory enables digital transformation. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon. Thank you.